So the the story uh, Easter, interestingly enough, is is a process of trying to comprehend uh, uh, something that is incomprehensible. It is all really about uh, expectations. The, the reality is that uh, every time that we go into a relationship or we go see a movie or we go get something to eat or we even come to an Easter gathering, we all have expectations. What are your expectations for today for our, our Easter gathering? <laughs> I've shattered every one of your expectations, hopefully for the good. So what do you expect? What did you What did you expect? Singing. Okay, so check. We got it. We have singing. Preaching. Preaching. Meh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Anybody else? What do you expect? Celebrating. Celebrating. What was that? Yeah, we, we've said that several times. He is risen indeed. Absolutely. Did you expect bagels? Yes. yes, those of you who come each Easter, you would know that E3, for some reason, you know, besides hospitality, we chose bagels, and we do bagels every Easter, so that's awesome. So there's these different expectations. So we do this, again, in, in all things, in relationships, when we go to sporting matches and all this. Um, so I actually have, like, a little chart of, of how we actually process these, these different things. We have the reality of a situation, and it can either be the reality is it's so hard for me to write on the board here. Expectations. So essentially you have your expectations. And then there's the reality of the situation. It either exceeds your expectations, it, it, it meets your expectations, or it falls below your expectations. So if it meets your expectations, that's called satisfaction. So if you go through the drive through at Chick-fil-A, not on Sunday, because, you know, uh, you would not expect them to be open on Sunday. If, if, if uh, they were open on Sunday, maybe you would be happy or sad, who knows. But, but if you went to Monday through Saturday, you went through the drive-thru and you ordered a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and you got to the window, and they gave you a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and you said thank you, and they said, my pleasure even though Chick-fil-A is known for great service, right, that that would meet your expectation. So, this is you, by the way, in the situation. So, say that you went to Chick-fil-A and you ordered a Chick-fil-A sandwich and they gave you a Whopper and uh, you said you know, this is a Whopper, and they said, who cares? It's food, right? So that would be way below your expectations. This is what's called disappointment. But say that you went to the Chick-fil-A, 
and uh, you went up and you got your Chick-fil-A sandwich and they said, hey, guess what? Today at, at Chick-fil-A, it's bonus pickle day. And for those, and if you don't like pickles, we'll give you, you know, a free shake or something like that. And you had no expectation that would exceed your expectations and you would be delighted. So here's the reality. Each and every one of us, when we experience something in, in, with people, events, or whatever, that, that we all go in with some sort of expectation based on something. And it's either going to meet our expectations and we'll be satisfied or we'll be disappointed or we will be delighted. This is, you know, when uh, you enter into a relationship uh, with somebody or you get a new job, you go in with all these expectations. People leave their jobs because usually they're disappointed. People, relationships break because somebody fell below the expectation of the person and they are disappointed and they leave. Or the person exceeds your expectations and you are delighted. So that's the first thing is as we're thinking about the Easter story, everybody who comes into contact with the empty tomb had an expectation and they had to deal with it in different ways. Here's the second thing. Each and every one of us have two, two tools in, in uh, processing experiences. The first tool that we have is contextualization. So essentially what contextualization does is it takes a new experience or information and we're able to make sense of it by other information that we have previously uh, collected or experiences that we had. So, how many of you had never played Kahoot before today? Okay, so about 80% of us had never played Kahoot before. Did anybody have major amount of anxiety about the game? Yeah, a little bit. It it was pretty easy for all of us to understand the game because it has lots of common elements that, that are familiar to us in our life, right? It wasn't that far out. Even though we've never played it before, maybe we haven't ever played an interactive group game with your phone, it, it made sense. Why does it make sense? Because we all play games, right? That we all have cell phones and we're used to interacting with it that it's not like, a, like too far of a stretch that we do something on our phone and wirelessly it magically appears somewhere else, right? So it was very easy for this new experience for all of us in a very quick time to contextualize what we were trying to do and then we were able to have a group experience. The other way that people... Uh, uh, kind of process new experiences is through interaction. And this is taking the new information and actually putting it to the test. And we actually did this with Kahoot uh, as well, didn't we? That, that uh, we were able to interact with our phones and then on the screen we were seeing if it was actually working or not. 
And one of the cool things is uh, for those of us or for those of you who got on the board and things like that, there was even this sense of delight. We even had Sam the man doing a little happy dance jig over there because he was delighted that he was in first place. Didn't last long, right? But, but you know, it was, it was this exciting thing. Here's the problem with the resurrection. You can't contextualize it or interact with it. 2,000 years ago, dead people stayed dead. In the 21st century, dead people stay dead. In fact, all through history, dead people stayed dead. So in order to contextualize this, it's not possible to contextualize this information because we do not have anything to contextualize it with. Also, we are not able, the only other tool that we have is through interaction. And we cannot interact with death in a real sense in resurrection. So when we look at the story, I find it fascinating to look at these real people, Mary and the other Mary and Peter and John and Thomas and the other disciples. They're all trying to use the same tools that you and I have. We have our pre-kind of expectation of a situation. What was the expectation when Jesus died and was put in the tomb? He would stay there. It was everybody's expectation. I don't know if they'd be satisfied with that, but, but that was the expectation. Nobody expected him to rise. Nobody expected the body to be stolen. They, just, they, they expected the dead people stayed dead. Okay, the other thing is that they had the tools to contextualize or, or uh, to have interaction. So with that in our minds... Let's try to look at actually how they responded in the book of John to this, this uh, information. I'm, I'm going to tell the st- most of the story, and then I'll read a couple of uh, key, key parts, and we'll unpack it. So essentially, we all know this, right? Uh, that that uh, Mary Magdalene and, uh, and probably some other women, uh, first thing, while it was still dark, they went to the tomb. Why did they go to the tomb? Anybody? Yeah, they wanted to anoint the body. They wanted, they were, they were in mourning. And, and when you're in mourning and you're sensing, you know, you have lost, you're not ready to release that yet, right? And, and they're there. And, and I think, you know, to humanize this, they probably just wanted to be in the proximity of Jesus, even if it was just in the, the body of Jesus at that point. And they get there. And in the story of John, they, he highlights uh, uh, Mary. The stone had been rolled away. So she runs back. She finds uh, Simon Peter and the other disciple. And this is what she says. Now, listen, listen to this. They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. What is she doing? She's contextualizing. Why is she contextualizing? Why is this contextualization? 
It's her expectation. It's what she's always experienced. She has experienced the dead people stay dead. And if a dead body isn't where you left the dead body, there's only one possible um, uh, explanation, and that is somebody took the body. So from there, Peter and John start running for the tomb to see what happens. And in the story, uh, uh, John's writing it, and John's writing about how he run, outruns them, and, and he's faster and everything. Very guy thing to do. Uh, in fact, my friend Jamie Thompson, uh, when, he's, when people ask him, when is it a race? He says, if there's a starting line and there's a finish line and there's more than one person doing it, it's a race. So they have a race there, and then Peter, uh, after John gets there, Peter goes inside. He's the first person to go inside of the tomb. And when he goes inside of the tomb, what does he see? He sees linens. The linens that they had wrapped uh, Jesus' body in. And and so he's looking there, and he's, and, he's, and he's trying to think this through. Then John comes in, because he probably called John in, and he goes in there, and they're looking in, and, and then suddenly they remember that, uh, this is verse 9, it says that they remember that um, they knew, now understood the Scripture that Jesus said he must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So they go into the tomb, and now they're, they're remembering this piece of really important information that Jesus was talking about how, just like Jonah, that he was going to be put away for three days, and then he was going to uh, be reborn, and, and other things about how the, how the temple was going to be torn down, and three days later it was going to be rebuilt. And they're processing this information that they thought perhaps... Was, was metaphors from Jesus into now the reality of processing that Jesus is gone and the, and the linens are gone, that, that what are they doing? They're contextualizing this information. They're thinking, well, if they stole the body, they probably would have stole the linens along with it, right? But the linens are here. The tomb is empty, and you know what? Jesus told us that this was going to happen. That Sunday evening that the disciples, minus Thomas, were all in, in a room, and they had locked the door. And they're frightened. They're really afraid that the Jewish leaders are, are going to come uh, after them. And... All of a sudden, Jesus was standing there among them, and he says, Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. So all of a sudden, their expectation was that Jesus would stay dead, but Jesus, the reality is, that now Jesus is risen and showing himself in front of them, and they are filled with joy, or they are delighted. 
And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then later on, Thomas comes in. And could you imagine like missing that? You ever miss a party or miss like something? Like this is a big one. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was at Chick-fil-A and then realized it was Sunday and he was all bummed, didn't get his chicken sandwich and missed Jesus. Like that's a rotten day. Uh, so he, he, you know, he comes back in and they're all like, dude, I don't know if they said dude. I would have said, dude, you would not believe what you just missed. And he's like, oh, what? And, you know, you missed Jesus. And he's like, no, Jesus is dead. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus showed up. And he's like, look, I'm, I don't believe that Jesus is alive. Because why? Because dead people stay dead. And, and he's like, there, there's, there's, even what he told us this is going to happen, I don't believe it. In fact, I won't believe it unless I can put my finger in the wounds of his hand and his side. And if I can do that, then I will believe. So what does he need to do in order to believe? He's got to do interaction. Like, it's not just good enough that somebody told him or, or, or somehow the information, he can contextualize it. He needs interaction with Jesus. And Scripture tells us eight days later, they were all together again in that room, and the doors were locked, and Jesus shows up again. And he's like, hey, Thomas, or hey, Doubting Thomas. Right? I think that's a bad rap for Thomas because I think all of us would have doubted. And he's like, look, come on over here. Put your, put your hands, put your fingers in my wounds. You need this interaction. Put your finger in, in my side. And he's like, no, no, it's good. I'm, I'm good. And he's like, no, no, you're not good. You're not good. You got, you got, you got to do it. And he believed. And this is the story of the resurrection, but it's even bigger than a story of the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's the story of the meaning of the resurrection. The meaning that those of us who are followers of Christ, that we can experience things that are dead, can come back alive. I've been a pastor for about 20 years, and I've seen dead marriages come back to life through the supernatural power of Jesus. I've seen dead relationships come back to life through the supernatural power of Jesus. I've seen growth groups and, and people's faith come back to life because of the supernatural power of of Jesus. Now, the resurrection, even though the resurrection of Christ is what we are celebrating, what we're really celebrating is the resurrection is for all of us. That we can claim new life, not only for ourselves, but for our relationships, not only for our relationships, but for our church, not only for our church, but our community, not only for our community, but our nation, not only for our nation, but our world. That is the power of the resurrection. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes this, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. This whole idea about childness uh, uh, and childlike thought, what Paul's trying to get, get at here is that, you know what? There's a much bigger picture than we're aware of. That faith in God aren't necessarily as easy and it's not as put into such a little tight box as we'd like to think. That, that God's love surpasses what we can comprehend. And probably the closest way that we can understand God's love is that it's reckless. That it, that it goes beyond safe. And it is a beautiful thing. I like the, uh, the illustration um, about Santa Claus, actually. And I know it's Easter. And I know that, you know, probably a Christmas message is not why you came today. But give me this one little bit. Because I think this is a beautiful thing. And it really helps us understand the majesty of God. Children, a lot of children... Uh, are, are taught to believe in a mythical man who lives in the North Pole, who knows when they're sleeping. He knows when they're awake. They know when they've been bad or good, so they better be good. Darn it. Oh, yeah, for goodness sake. That rhymes much better. And people think that's such an amazing thing, and kids are, are filled with wonder uh, on this, that there's this mystery guy who's creeping on them. <laughs> and that's childish, and that might be fun, but isn't putting the childish, childness childlike thinking away, and actually grabbing onto the reality so much better, that there are people in our life who know us, who know the good, they know the bad, and they love us so much that they are willing to sacrifice their money and their time in order to find us a gift that is going to delight us, in order to show us love. And so many times that it's childish that we think that God is a God of anger and God is a God of law and God is a God of do this or I'm going to smite you. Not enough smiting going around lately. But the reality is that God is a God of reckless love who loved us so much that he sent his only son to not only die for us, but to walk with us to experience the humanity and to be crucified and then rise from the dead 
and to empower us and give us the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite quotes from Tim, uh, Tim Keller on, on the resurrection is this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That is the thing that everything hinges on because if he didn't rise from the dead, then it doesn't matter. What matters is there's one person in humanity who conquered the grave. And that one person was the Son of God, and he did it for us. Last verse. Philippians chapter 3. I once thought all these things were so very important, talking about the law and talking about uh, being a Hebrew of Hebrews. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with Him depends on faith. And then listen to these last two sentences. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I can experience the resurrection from the dead. And that is the promise of Easter. Your soul, your spirit can be resurrected from the dead. Some of you here are spiritually dead. But the Holy Spirit can bring that back to life. Some of your marriages are spiritually dead. But through Christ, that can be resurrected. For some of you, your families are, are dead. But in Christ, they can be resurrected. We are told that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead indwells in you. The resurrection did not just happen 2,000 years ago. It's happening today. And it is offered to you. I'd like to close with this quote from my favorite theologian, N.T. Wright. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. 
The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it.